0: And welcome back to the program and our book talk segment of the day. And uh, our guest today has written a really interesting and kind of fascinating book about uh, the world we live in and uh, kind of what goes on with ecology and uh, different species uh, perhaps going extinct, but maybe things that uh, we can do about, it. of course, also what nature does about uh, preventing extinction or at least uh, adapting to different environments. And the name of the book is called The Rescue Effect The Key to Saving a Life on Earth. And our guest is Michael uh, Maida Webster. A professor of uh A practice at the Department of Environmental Studies at NYU in New York City, and he joined us by telephone today from up in New York. And Michael, great to talk with you. How are you today?
1: Uh, I'm doing great, and thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, good to have a chance to talk with you. I'm glad we uh, were able to do this today. When I got the notes about the book, uh, I did definitely wanted to uh, to talk to you because I've always, I guess, we all should be interested in the (laughs) environment and all that. But I've always had kind of an interest in it as well. And uh, I guess first of all, uh, you you kind of dedicated your academic career to doing this. Kind of work, right? The environment and ecology and all that, right? Conservation.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started as an ecologist at a university, and I've also done a lot of work in conservation. So, yeah, that's been my uh, interest from the get-go. It started with coral reefs, which has always been my sort of biggest love in the environment. But I've worked in many systems.
0: It's kind of a misunderstood, uh, like coral. Coral reef. I mean, we have, of course down here in Florida, you know, we have it. Of course, all coastal areas or most coastal areas have it. Uh, people I guess kind of think ah oh, just a bunch of you know sand and, and rocks, but it's really a living, breathing thing that really uh, I mean, we just kind of noticed it down here with the barrier islands in Sarasota with the last hurricane. I mean, it, it does tend to protect uh, us against some of the you know tough parts of the storm. Uh, it does a lot, doesn't it? The coral.
1: Yeah, so, you know, corals, an animal doesn't really look like an animal, at least what most people would think of it as. Um, but they build these uh, rocky structures that we know of as reefs, and those reefs, you know, provide places to live for, you know, incredible numbers of different creatures in the ocean. But they also do other things, like you said, like uh, protect shorelines from uh, storms and waves.
0: It really is kind of interesting when when you think about, uh, and you talk about it in the book, several examples of uh, of species that uh, have had to adapt. Uh, some uh, obviously not by by choice, some by man-made situations, others by maybe just natural means. Uh, you know temperature of the earth uh, fluctuates as we know uh, over the decades so uh, you kind of got gone into some of the the examples of that and uh, uh, I guess I guess the first question I should ask you is you know when animals go extinct you talk about that in the book uh, I guess a lot of it is just natural nothing you can do about it right in other cases uh, uh, things we can help right do to help.
1: So, listen, things have always gone extinct since there's been life on Earth. And over Earth's long history, you know, more things have gone extinct than we currently have on the planet. But I don't think there's much debate in the scientific community that the extinction rate's getting a lot higher. And that the reason for that is because of how we're changing the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing a whole bunch of things to change the planet from, you know, making agriculture on land out of what had once been forests or building cities. We're moving species around. And most importantly, we're changing the climate, which is affecting all species and ecosystems everywhere on the planet.
0: Is it become worse in the last, say, twenty, twenty-five years as opposed to, you know, when the Industrial Revolution started, what, late 1800s, something like that, when obviously pollution became more prevalent with, you know, the engine and, and those kind of things? Uh, is it worse in the last 25 years, would you say, or did it start more back then?
1: Yeah, I mean, it depends on what specifically you're talking about. There's plenty of places, for example, in the U.S. that have done a lot to clean up their air quality so that like the localized pollution might not be as bad as it was at some time in the past. But on climate... On climate, we're just making it worse and worse, and so that that one every year that goes by with us, you know, putting more and more uh, greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, the, the worse climate change will get. That's that one's a, a clear pattern.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the examples in the book. I thought uh, they're all interesting, but uh, one was uh, the the tigers. Uh, how. Uh, in the, in the wild, uh, they've kind of adapted and changed to kind of uh, survive themselves in a way. Can you talk about that for a minute?
1: Yeah. So one of the chapters in the book is about tigers in India. And if you, if you look at what's happened to tigers in the wild over the last 100 years, their numbers have absolutely freefalled. And that's due to a combination of people taking over land that was once tiger habitat. Um, as well as people hunting tigers. And there's sort of an in insidious business out there of um, uh, killing tigers and selling their body parts for a variety of um, uh, reasons, including their fur and their claws, as well as well as well as other parts of their body. And what happened in India, which is where that chapter was set, was that the tiger numbers kept falling and falling year after year, And in the 1970s, India decided to start acting to try and protect its tigers um, uh, more stringently. And they did things like create a whole bunch of new tiger reserves. Um, And that worked reasonably well to sort of slow the rate that tigers were being lost. But in some cases, it it wasn't enough. And that was because tigers are still worth a lot of money um, in the black market for tiger parts. And in some places, people were still going and hunting them. Mm. And there's one park that I wrote about in the book in um, a park called Panna, in, in India that um, poachers killed every last tiger in the park to the point where it had none left. And, and at that point, it became a really big issue uh, for the wildlife managers uh, to try and solve. And so they managed to catch a few tigers in nearby parks and release them back into Banna. And the interesting thing that what happened was that the tiger numbers rebounded really quickly. Those tigers that got into the park, they started, uh, you know, they had big territories, they had lots of food, they started having lots of cubs, their cubs started having cubs. And within a few generations, the tiger was, the park was filled back up with tigers to the point where some of the tigers have started to leave. Um, It's gotten crowded and they're looking for other places to live.
0: Yeah, interesting. I've heard what you're talking about with the the parts and the tigers. Unfortunately, the elephants too, I guess that's been a big problem, right? The tusks and all that. Yeah. uh, yeah, It's... it's, it's, (laughs) Hard to believe that uh, people will still buy that, but I guess they do, buy those products.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a sad thing. I mean, listen, there are plenty of problems on the planet. It's too bad that we have to um, try and protect species that are being hunted to extinction in this yeah. way.
0: Now, another example, uh, not just animals, but you talk about uh, uh, the chestnut tree, which I thought was interesting, right? I mean, that particular tree has uh, had some problems, I guess, some diseases with it, right? And, and it's kind of adapted and, I guess – men or man, uh, we've helped out at least hope try to eradicate that right
1: yeah so the american chestnut was once a super common tree in the eastern u.s and around the early 1900s it um, got infected with a disease that had been accidentally brought in from asia it swept through the trees and within a few decades killed pretty much every american chestnut tree in north america Um, Since then, people have been trying to bring it back and they've been having a really hard time because the trees are just not well equipped to fight this particular disease. More recently, some scientists from uh, the um, State University of New York in Syracuse have started uh, creating genetically modified uh, American chestnut trees that do a better job at fighting off the disease. And so it's a really interesting case where this sort of high-tech intervention of genetic modification is being used for conservation. And the trees are good enough that they want to start replanting them, and they've asked the U.S. government for permission. And so it's this interesting situation where people are grappling with do we want to have genetically modified trees and what's the better thing genetically modified trees in our forests or a species that has disappeared um and there's valid views on both sides
0: yeah 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 i guess the, the point is you know, we can do some things some things doesn't matter what we do a uh, species or something will go extinct that's just the way it is but uh i think you make that point in the book we have to kind of decide uh, you know what 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 are we doing? Are we helping or not? But uh, I think you bring up a great point in the book. And I know we're just about out of time in our allotted segment, but the name of the book again, is, again, called The Rescue Effect, The Key to Saving Life on Earth. And other examples in the book include uh, certain fish you talk about and uh, the actual the mountain pygmy possum and, and other things as well that uh, really give good insight into, uh, you know, how animals and uh, nature adapts and, of course, what we can do to hopefully help. Uh, Michael, great to talk with you. You have a website you want to direct people to to get more information on the book. Uh, sure. You can check
1: out my NYU website, and you can check out the book online at any bookseller, and hopefully it's in your local
0: bookshop. Great. We'll also put a link on our website as well. But, uh, Michael Webster, great to talk with you. And uh, first of all, congratulations. Welcome to my former hometown of New York. I think you're going to enjoy it. Just uh, get a jacket ready. But, uh, but I think you're going to enjoy New York. Thanks for being with us. <laughs>
1: great. Well, thanks for having me. Great. Bye. Thank you, Michael. I'm Stan Brock.